She hit the floor. Next thing you knew, Shorty got low, low, low. <laughs> she hit the fl- um, floor. Next thing you know, Shorty got low, 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 low. She hit the floor. Next thing you know, a shouty got low, 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 low. Y'all motherfuckers ready? Buckle up. It's episode 177. This episode brought to you by Cold Stones, where you can walk in stoned out of your mind and just pick a bunch of candy bars to mash into that ice cream. I'll have, I don't know, Butterfinger? Reese's? Snickers bar? Brownies? Fruity Pebbles? Starburst? Chili? Just beat that shit into the ice cream. You remember Cold Stones? Maybe they still exist. I bet they do. Is it Cold Stone or Cold Stones? Well, you don't have to Google that because it doesn't matter. But you would walk in. You would just giggle. You would just giggle. What are we, what are we here for? What are we doing? We're going to hurt ourselves. Okay, yeah. Let me start with a base of vanilla mint chip in Rocky Road. And I want you to take those two metal sticks and just start beating the shit out of that ice cream. And every so often, I'm going to go, yeah, peanut M&Ms. And then let's also do Twix and Kit Kat. Okay, three musketeers. And then let's also pound a snickerdoodle into that ice cream. Did you ever get too cute at Cold Stone and just say, all right, I don't even know what I ordered, but this is going to be a thrill ride. Folks, it's going to be a roller coaster of delight. And I think that's why Cold Stone is not my first sponsor on this podcast. But if you leave more reviews and nice ratings, you never know. Sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. To make this a real side hustle and a lucrative opportunity for me, Sky is certainly the limit. As of right now, the limit has been a very low ceiling, like the bedroom ceiling I am currently looking at. I'm just a man in a bedroom. Luckily, there's a microphone, or else I'd be a crazy man in a bedroom just talking and talking and talking about Ukraine, and he's talking about technology. Seems like he's a teacher, and he talks about that, too. He talks about music, and he talks about Netflix, and sometimes people tune in. I'll ask again, are y'all motherfuckers ready? Episode 177. You look in the mirror. You look deep into that mirror of yours, and you tell me, Who's looking back at you? You satisfied with that person? Who's looking back at you? Are you noticing the beauty? Are you noticing the flaws? When you stare into the mirror, and I don't mean a functional stare. Functional meaning like you're flossing or you're brushing your teeth or you're washing your face. That's function. I don't mean a productive stare like you're looking for nose hairs to pluck or ear hair to pluck eyebrows to pluck. No, 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 no. That's all functional staring. I'm talking about just gaze into that mirror and ask yourself, who are you? Who are you? Well, I was doing that recently and there was too much light in the old bathroom. Too much light. It was like the type of light that almost made me seem translucent. I'm going to be honest. I don't know the word translucent. I just wanted to throw it in there and try to sound smart. It was the type of light That looked bioluminescent. Nope, I don't know that word either. But I know it's a word. I'm just saying I looked crystal clear and vivid. And what I saw was wrinkled. This 40-year-old face looked wrinkled 
like Kramer with the cigars. I'm hideous. You know, there's some lighting where you don't see all the wrinkles, but we all know that moment where you look in to the mirror and you go, oh shit. That's the point of no return. The forehead creases now have wrinkles going in the other direction. They always used to just be horizontal. Now I got some vertical creases. The crow's feet, no, no, no. That's too kind to call them just crow's feet. No, I got to call these geisha fans. I think a geisha uses a fan. You know those fans that you fold? Origami-looking fans? This reference will fall flat, but it's just creased off the sides of my eyes. And then you pan down to these droopy-ass cheeks. My smile lines, I guess I smile and laugh a lot, and now they're permanent? I guess I wish I didn't laugh so much. Looking like the Joker all of a sudden with permanent laugh creases? No thanks. What used to be dimples are now just deep, deep abysses. Ready for a little kid to rest a grape in. Holy shit, who is that man staring back at me? I'll write a song. You don't think I'll write a song? I'll write a song. If only that was it. Like, all right, he's just got wrinkles, but everything else is fine. No, pal, it ain't fine, because I've gone gray. And when I say I've gone gray, I don't just mean a few. I mean, we're talking about 50-50. There's a lot of salt. Where's the pepper? Hey, where's the pepper? Can I get a little more pepper? Just keep grinding. Fresh pepper, sir, on your Caesar salad? Yeah, keep going. Say when? I'm not going to say when. You just keep grinding for about an hour. I want a mound of pepper. Give me that salt, too? No, thanks. At first, you have a few. It's distinguished. Hey, you look quite regal. You look mature. And now I'm thinking, I look frozen because I got the beard going right now. I got the old bushy beard, and it's got plumes of white. I look like a guy that just stepped out of an avalanche. Like people were certain I was dead. Avalanche, three days ago, just destroyed the hill I was skiing down and everyone's mourning. Oh, we're going to miss Josh. That was such a tough avalanche he was skiing through and we haven't found him. And then three days later, I pop out. I pop out of the avalanche, the mound of snow where they were all bringing flowers to. Did this get morbid? Stay with me. I'm still alive. I'm still alive in this scenario. Scenario or scenario? All right, let's not get hung up on pronunciation. Pronunciation or pronunciation? You bastard, I said, let's not get hung up on that. So I emerge after three days in this avalanche. And that's actually what I look like. The plumes of white on my beard and throughout my hair just make me look frosted, like I've been frozen. They would send a local news van A reporter would be asking me questions. The town thought he was dead, but a local man showed us that he could live off of string cheese, dunkaroos, and fruit roll-ups under a mound of snow, and he has emerged. Sir, how was it in there? Cold. And what were you thinking about the whole time? How cold it was. And now that you have a chance to speak To the locals in the community who have been cheering for your survival. Any words for them? I recommend not ever being that cold as I was in the snow pile from the avalanche. And I didn't expect to talk about it. The point is, the point, 
He's going to find a point. He's going to find a point. Oh, yeah, there's a moment where you transition from I was a young person, now I'm an older person. I'm not saying old, I'm saying older. I'm not saying old, I'm saying older. And then once you've been in the throes of older for long enough, you accept it. You just go, okay, that's the person in the mirror. Mr. Frozen Frosty Beard and Mr. Salt and Pepper Hair and Mr. Geisha Fan Crow's Feet with the big dimple creases, Joker smile, lines, and your forehead's a mess. And you accept it, but I'm currently in the midst of the transformation, the transition. I'm struggling with this. I mean, maybe this is what I should look like, but there's still that kid in me that goes, wait, wait, Josh, that's you? That's you, you old wrinkled sack of shit? That's you? Maybe it was just the lighting. I blame the lighting. It was translucent. I think it was bioluminescence coming through, but it made me look a little old. Old man, take a look at your life. I'm a lot like you. Neil. This is true. Today I was at a union meeting. I'm in a union. Are they going to strike? Are those folks about to strike? Give me that huelga sign. But I was at a union meeting and one of the PE teachers came up to me laughing. This is true. I'll even use his name, Mr. Choli. And he went, whoa, Josh, man, you have kids, don't you? I was like, yeah. He's like, so gray. Look at you. You have gone gray. And I said, you're damn right, Choli. Fully gray. And he blamed the kids. Like, kids stress you out. They keep you up at night. They age you. And it's all worth it. It actually is worth it. And they drain you. They drain you. And then you feel blessed because they still really like you. They're still young, so they really like you. And that's what everyone says. Just wait. Just wait till they become independent. They don't give a shit about you. And that sounds much worse. So I can handle this being so exhausted, so drained, the fatigue, the stress from little kids that are needy, but they love me. They love me. And they wouldn't clown my wrinkles. They wouldn't make fun of this gray mane, this beautiful salt and pepper mane. That's right. Not balding yet. It's thick. I should journal about this because I think I would forget this. We just move forward in life. We rarely reflect on transitional moments. I mean, they happen, but then they just fade away into the archives of our minds somewhere. And you go, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. I kind of remember that. The first time I looked in the mirror and said, whoa, shit, you got old, pal. Same thing in the classroom. Same exact thing in the classroom. This is the first year where I don't feel like a young teacher. I'm in year seven or eight. And I feel like an effective teacher. I do feel good. I feel like it's a profession where you can ascend. If you put effort into it, every year you should get a little better. And then the students, they always remain the same. I know that's what Matthew McConaughey says in Dazed and Confused. And it's, or is that Ben Affleck who says that? I don't know. One of the creepy older fellas. Is Ben Affleck even in it? Let's go back to Matthew McConaughey. He has a creepy line about they all stay the same age. And he gets older and still hangs out at high school parties. But as a teacher... I'm always going to get kids that arrive 15, 16 years old. 
but I'm going to become 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46. I'll get older. Maybe I'll even get better at this profession. I think that's the hope. No matter what you do for a living, if you keep doing it and you aim to improve and you strive to get better, you kind of do get better. Malcolm Gladwell, although I find him to be boring, he talked about that. You accumulate enough hours, you could develop some expertise in your career field, and that's a good feeling. But no matter what, as we try to rethink the world of education and reinvent our approach, isn't it true that they're always just going to arrive the same age into your classroom. They're always going to be immature, and then you could help develop their literacy skills and their depth of knowledge, and you could see them grow and grow and grow, and then they move on to the next grade. It's kind of weird. So part of it is the self-fulfillment of seeing myself improve in something, and then part of it is knowing you're just stuck in Groundhog Day. These kids are from Central Casting. Every year you get a kid who seems dangerous. Ooh, that delinquent's gonna hurt you. And then you get the go-getter who's on their way to an Ivy League school, and then you get the musical kid. Then you get the kid who's into hip-hop, the kid who's into basketball, the kid who can't pay attention, the kid who pays too much attention, nonstop raising their hand and raising their hand and raising their hand and raising your hand. You go, you, yes, you again. Yeah, you had your hand up, and you, thanks for participating, and you again, yes, and you again. Yeah, and you had a point, and you needed to say something. And then the kid who hasn't said anything for so many months, you're like, well... Are you awake? Every year. Same shit. I mean, different names, different fashion trends come in and out. But you notice the age stays the same. If you teach the same subject for long enough, I almost miss being that young, inexperienced, raw, great word, raw teacher. This is Jim Rome. Focusing on the raw teachers. Over at Novato High, you had a teacher who showed up raw, and now he's old. When you're raw, or when you're, uh, or when you're young and eager and thirsty, and people notice that, hey, look, look at this breath of fresh air. Not jaded, not bitter. Cares deeply about lesson planning. Man, that's a nice sight. And then you hit this groove, you hit this rhythm where there's still a lot of effort. This is my guess for most teachers. First five years, you're getting comfortable putting in all that nighttime work, creating assessments, getting stressed about everything, meetings and meetings, having meetings and more meetings, getting evaluated, talking to parents and counselors and all that. And then I guess years five to 15 You kind of just get comfortable, which can be dangerous. Comfort can be dangerous because you don't want to tiptoe towards complacency, redundancy. That's dangerous territory. But if you can get into a comfy rhythm and still care deeply about your work, then I think that's the glory period. And then years 15 to 25, maybe even 30, if you do this for 30 years, towards the end, aren't you kind of coasting? No one wants to admit that. But if you're like, Seeing retirement within your grasp, you just see the golf course. You just see the porch swing with the Manhattans and the Arnold Palmers. And you just see the travel plans of retirement. I think that's where you put it into cruise control. A little bit. A little bit. You deserve it. Hey, pal, you're going to get that gold watch. Isn't that sad when you hear about how many people only had one profession 
and it wasn't even a desirable profession, and they sat around like about Schmidt, great movie with Jack Nicholson, the first five minutes. He's just sitting, waiting to clock out and retire to get that gold watch, and then they honor him with a steak dinner, and that scene gets weird. Once again, this podcast brought to you by About Schmidt, a movie from 25 years ago that I highly recommend. Have you seen it? Jack Nicholson is so fucking good. You knew I would swear right there. I could have just said Jack Nicholson is so good, but no, About Schmidt is too good for me not to use the old F word. All right, let's get to the main point. I'm Ukrainian. Isn't that crazy that I'm not joking right now? I'm Ukrainian. Want to know what's crazier? I just found that out last weekend. Didn't know. It's always a tough question when someone says, what are you? And you have to go deep into your ethnicity, your heritage, your lineage, your ancestry. And you go, I think I'm kind of Russian, kind of English. Everyone always says, maybe a smidge, smidgen Native American, maybe some German, Peruvian, and then I believe a little Botswana. Really? Botswana? Yeah. My mom's 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 was on a cruise to Botswana and she had sex with a guy at the hotel who was not on vacation, but he worked there, the concierge. She had sex, and this story's from 1605, but I tell people I'm part African, just to sound exotic. No, you know what I am? Ukrainian. You want to talk about a nation that has sad history? And the present state is also sad, but sad history, Ukraine. So I didn't even realize I was Ukrainian. I always knew I had a little Russian blood, But my Uncle Andy, my dad's brother, put a Facebook post up. I think it was Saturday or Sunday, and I was blown away. I'm just going to read it right now. I'm just going to read it. And it turns out I'm a miracle, just like all of you. You're miracles. You're probably related to somebody that had to flee something at some point. And maybe you don't even know the story because we tend to get focused on our own issues. Let's be honest. We tend to just focus on what's in front of us, my next meal. How many hours am I going to sleep? Next pair of shoes? How often do you try to interview someone old in your family and say, hey, how much do you know? about three previous generations, four previous generations. What can you tell me about our roots? All right, so here's something about my roots. There was a guy named Israel Opachinsky. And that guy is my paternal great-great-grandfather. So he was born in 1857 in Kiev, Ukraine. Married a woman named Fanny. She was Austrian. They lived during the murderous reign of Tsar Alexander III. Now I'm just going to read the post. In May of 1882, two philanthropic organizations made it possible for 43 Russian Jewish families to settle in America by providing land for lease, equipment, supplies, and monetary allowances, which enabled these families to cultivate the land, earn a livelihood, build a community. The Obachinskis were among those lucky families who became the Alliance Colony in southern New Jersey. So my dad's roots in New Jersey are now explained. Near Vineland, 40 miles from Philly, 100 miles from New York. This alliance colony, farming, craftsmen, some cabinet makers, blacksmiths, masonry, eventually even had a clothing store that recently closed only 20 years ago. So the Opachinskis had 13 kids. One of them, my great-grandmother named Jenny. She married my great-grandfather named Nathan. This is where it all gets confusing. This is why it's tough to learn family history. You're like, how many greats have you said? Great-great? Or is that great? Is that your mom's side, your dad's side? Is that your dad's bloodstream? Is it your dad's mom's bloodstream? So don't get confused. Just know that Israel Obachinsky is my great-great-grandfather. He was born in Ukraine. 
And then my Uncle Andy just brings this up on Facebook, and I'm like, no shit. No shit. So I'm connected to one of those lucky 43 families that got the funding to escape Russia while Jews are being persecuted, the pogroms. Jews are being killed. Their homes are being burned down. Not to mention all the governments that Ukraine has endured invading. Stalin, Hitler, currently Putin. I mean, these people, how do you not cheer for them? As if I wasn't cheering enough. Turns out I'm cheering for some of my own genetic makeup. Some of my own blood. So let's finish this shit. I can't tell. I can't tell if this is going to be a war that ends in a few weeks or a couple of years. I have no clue what the end game is. I read so many articles of how could it end. Everyone's speculating, but nobody knows what's in Putin's head right now. I just know the reports of human suffering are difficult. I mean, if you're in tune with what's going on, how are you not sad and stressed that this is happening on the planet we're all inhabiting right now? I was watching Colbert, by the way. Let me give some props to the journalists for a moment. The journalists that are just sent over there by their news organizations because they love journalism. They want to report the truths, what they see and convey it to their readers and their viewers. All right, beyond the criticism of fake news and clickbait, there are some incredible journalists right now who are just at hotels in Ukraine Hopefully safe. You know it's a risk. I was watching Colbert the other night, and he was interviewing Anderson Cooper live from Kiev, Ukraine. And Anderson Cooper is just on Zoom in a hotel room. And Colbert is a show, a late-night show, where they make fun of Vladimir Putin. And Anderson Cooper is a guest on that Colbert show, Stephen Colbert's late-night show. And he's emotional talking about the atrocities he's witnessed, talking about these families fleeing and these families who are trying to endure and sustain this invasion, this attack. And I'm thinking, damn, the balls on Anderson Cooper. I wouldn't want that assignment. I'll be honest right now. If I worked for CBS and they were like, Josh, uh, we're going to send you out to Ukraine. I was like, really? You don't think Putin knows every name of every reporter and what they're reporting back to their home countries? He knows. Some scary ass shit. I mean, it's scary to be a civilian. It's scary to be a soldier, but also... Whenever I see these journalists, I'm thinking, damn, that's some courage to try to go report. And that's really how history will be written. History books are basically journalists covering it, studying primary sources and then condensing it for students to study, research and learn from. And that's basically in a nutshell, the importance of quality journalism. It's never easy to transition from that, but I will. I think I've said my piece. I think I'm forgetting a bunch. I think I'm tired. I think the CBD oil is running rampantly through my brain and veins, and that's fine. Hey, that's fine. It's natural, folks. There's no THC. This episode brought to you by no THC. If there were THC in this oil, this show would sound a lot different. A lot. And I've talked about this before, but enough with the soft hipster covers. Spotify knows me so damn well. Hey, Josh, you like that, right? You like that David Bowie song, Let's Dance? Yeah, I do. (laughs) I do. Well, maybe you'll like this cover, and it's just so brutally obvious. That's the thing. You found a few chords, and you got sad, and you picked up the old six-string nylon acoustic, 
and you brought your sad voice to cover a song that's supposed to be fun. So I'll give you a taste of David Bowie. This is real. David Bowie's song, Let's Dance. Love it. How do you not love it? And then I'm going to play for you a cover that just popped up on my Spotify algorithm. Hey, Al. Al. Albert. Gorithm. I don't want you here anymore, okay? My friend Al Gorithm. <laughs> Is that funny? No writer. But my friend Algorithm, he's feeding me these covers. There's too many of these covers. Now, some of them are fine. Some of them I like. And some of them are Willie Nelson. Do you know how many songs Willie Nelson has covered? Come on, Willie. All that weed, all that weed has Willie just covering and covering. I know he's got some incredible original tunes himself, but Willie has covered more songs as I've gone through his cover catalog than any artist, than any famous artist who's also known for being such an original. Now slow down and play David Bowie to give your listeners a taste of how it should sound, how it did sound, and then what a hipster does to ruin it. David, loving those red shoes, getting us off our seats. Come on, come dance. All right, I'm in. I'm in. You got to beat that catchy. You got to beat that sweet. I'm in. Let's dance. And then someone named M. Ward throws this shit together. he's so sad about what is this genre of let's get sad and then cover fun songs and then bring everybody else into our sadness i mean i don't hate it but it's just some lazy obvious shit and i kind of want to do it maybe that's it i'm jealous maybe i want to be a musician who gets real sad and i pick up my guitar and i say let's dance Put on your red shoes and dance. You're not supposed to be that sad talking about dancing, M. Ward. Endless examples. Endless examples of this. And I'm not going to stand by and allow it, nor should you. So go to my website, here we go, with joshrosenberg.gov.net.org.com 
and sign the petition, Enough's Enough with the Sad Hipster Covers. And if we get enough signatures, then we're going to have a meeting at Coldstone's Coldstone Creamery. Everyone who signs the petition gets 10 cents off their second scoop. Just beat the shit out of that Butterfinger right into, yeah, right into that ice cream. Uh Uh-huh. That's silly. I applied to Coldstone once when I was 18. I applied to work in Coldstone. I didn't come back for the interview. I thought it was too silly to actually do it. But it was in the strip mall of a bunch of a bunch of little restaurants. I actually ended up working at the fish market restaurant, which was six doors down, which was equally as silly to come home smelling like fish. Roommates don't like that. They don't like that. Hey, Josh, can you live outside? Can you take that shrimp Louie ass hat and that lobster bisque pair of pants off before you walk in? We don't like that. Get him a kennel. All right, I'm ending with something sad but also something that should be brought up. Through marriage, I'm related to one of the greatest jazz trumpet players of all time. His name's Ron Miles. This is through marriage. My wife's mother's cousin is Carrie Miles, and she married Ron. And you could Google him right now, Ron Miles. Ron Miles passed away last night. We just got a text message from my wife's mom telling us that he passed It was shocking. So sad. 58 years old. He passed away in Denver, surrounded by his family. He had a rare blood disorder. Didn't really realize that. I mean, we knew he was kind of sick, but we went and saw him live at Stanford, performing with Joshua Redman, the saxophonist, on tour. And I always just thought it was cool that I could say, well, through marriage, I'm related to Ron Miles. Never really met him, although we saw him live. And it was cool to look around the venue. It's this sweet venue in the round at Stanford University as all these people are like really into it. It's a sophisticated audience. And I'll be honest, the type of jazz I like, more piano jazz, more Bill Evans, Dave Brubeck, Dave Brubeck, Oscar Peterson, Teddy Wilson, just like old Grandpa Cy used to like. And my dad likes. And I like... When it comes to the horns, I don't know. Maybe I don't have the ear for it, but it's cool that he's recognized as one of the greats. And then last night, he passed, and I read a lot of the articles. And it's eloquent, the way people describe him. So I'm just going to read a little blurb from the NPR article. And this is just amazing writing about music. Yes, someone, hey, what kind of music do you like? They could describe, but then when you say why, what is it about that genre, that artist, that style that you like? It's kind of tough to answer. But listen to this. This is a music reporter for NPR. Ron Miles had a warm and perfectly centered sound on cornet with barely a trace of ferocity or flash. Through his playing, he could create the sensation of something both sturdy and precious, especially in the context of his own compositions which combined a distinctly American harmonic palette with an open-hearted emotional clarity uncommon in modern jazz. And then a quote from a pianist, a jazz pianist named Jason Moran. If you played a Ron Miles song right, in the best of moods you'd be crying because the songs were full. I equate it to the way John Coltrane made Lonnie's Lament. He knew how to find the joy in a melody. He knew where the heart was in it, 
even just in the moment of playing them, it would just rush over you. A lot of music we play doesn't have that. It just doesn't. And this is what Ron was able to do with his cornet. Holy shit. So beautifully written. So that's how I'll end this episode. A little tribute to Ron. Thoughts and prayers are with his family. And that's episode 177. Enjoy a little Ron Miles to take you out. 